Welcome to episode 128 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined happily by Paul Herman, oh. I think. How you doing, Paul? I know I'm happy. I'm, I'm assuming you're also happy and feeling good, feeling better than maybe when you were tweeting about ticket purchases over the weekend. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little I'm a little better. It's a little it's just a bittersweet thing. You know, it really is. And not not about the movie itself, but just this everything. It's just kind of bittersweet because X-Men has been here for almost 20 years from the film franchise, of course. And it's just one of those things where I just feel that it's just kind of a it's just, it, it's 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 a good thing it's moving on, but at the same time it's like man, an era has ended. Like this is like a, you know, this is what kept my fandom alive for yeah. for Marvel Comics, you know, and it's 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 ending. So it's it's just kind of it's just kind of one of those reflective kind of periods where it's like you're you're mourning, you know? So I don't know. I feel it's, like I went through that before this. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll get okay. into that. This episode is going to be our spoiler review for Dark Phoenix. And before we get into the review itself, just because there's been some, I don't know, concern out there that people who don't like this particular movie or have been uh, a little sour towards the X-Men, the Fox X-Men franchise of late, that there's this sense that people always hated this franchise uh, or that people hate this entire franchise, and, and it's all because they just love the MCU. Which, I'm sure in some cases you could find examples where that might be true, but by and large, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think that it's based largely on these last two movies in the main series, and then some other missteps that we know have happened along the way. Uh, but by and large, I don't think there's this active hate of the Fox X-Men franchise. Most of the movies, or a lot of the movies, have been fairly well-reviewed, Good cinema scores from general audiences, a lot of box office success. So this idea that that people just have been hating on this franchise from day one or for a long time, and it's all because of their love of the MCU, I just don't really think that's true. And it's certainly not true of the two of us. So we are going to spend a little bit of time before we get into the spoiler review. It's not going to be a full episode or anything like that. We're not doing a, a retrospective here on this episode anyway of the X-Men uh, franchise, but as as you mentioned, Paul, this franchise, I think, means a lot to both of us, and I'm sure it means yeah. a lot to many of you who are listening, wherever you may yeah, wherever you may be listening to this. I mean, we've danced around some of these topics before in, in other episodes, that growing up, this stuff wasn't that cool, and growing up, there weren't, especially for movies. I mean, this stuff, well, when I say it wasn't that cool, we thought it was cool. Not everybody thought this was cool. <laughs> Uh, but you had the 90s. X-Men was a little bit more mainstream than most Marvel properties. I mean, the comics were ridiculously popular, but then it had a really popular Fox animated series. And you had all other kinds of things for X-Men. So X-Men was kind of a big deal. And people already knew that it could had the potential to be a big deal by the time there was finally going to be a movie coming out in 2000. But what I love so much about X-Men in 2000, besides the movie itself, was that I was finally seeing what really truly felt like a Marvel superhero movie. Yes, Blade was out, and I love the first Blade movie, but as much as that is a Marvel-based movie, it also just felt very action horror. It didn't necessarily feel like, uh, you know, it felt like this fringe kind of thing that got made into a movie, and I was very happy that that happened. But Blade didn't necessarily have that same feeling that X-Men did of, oh, this now we could actually be on, on the brink of superhero movies really becoming a thing. I mean, there have been Superman movies and Batman movies. Hell, there had even been a movie about the Phantom, but it was, still wasn't feeling <laughs> like we were going to be in this Marvel era. 
until mm. X-Men in 2000 and seeing the way that movie worked. Granted, not everything was up to snuff. I mean, black costumes instead of colorful X-Men costumes. But at that point, we were fairly desperate and, and willing to forgive that in exchange for seeing these characters on screen and seeing them uh, in a very well-told, well-acted story. And I think that's mostly what we got in the first X-Men film and then got a truly, what I think still holds up as a legitimately great comic book movie in X2, X-Men United. And there have been other high points along the way. I don't have quite as high of an opinion of X-Men First Class as some, but I definitely have a higher opinion than a lot of others. Uh, I think First Class was a solid win after a couple of misses with Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, I also thought the Wolverine in 2013 was mostly solid outside of some third action shenanigans, but most of that movie was solid. And then X-Men Days of Future Past, I was a big fan of that film. And then we have, what, the next thing was X-Men Apocalypse. That was trash. And then we got uh, Logan in 2017, which I have some issues with, but overall I still think it's a very, uh, it's a pretty great movie, and I loved it. And then we have uh, we have Dark Phoenix now. I might have missed something in there, but yes, there's the Deadpool movies. <laughs> well, I'm talking about X Men and X Men characters. Like, I uh, got you. Okay. I'll, I'll I know there's it. I know there's Deadpool, but I don't. Yeah, I know there was an X-Men cameo in Deadpool 2, but still doesn't really feel like part of the X franchise, and it's been doing its own thing. Um, and of course, I, I count the Wolverine movies because Wolverine was born in the main X-Men franchise, at least sure. as far as our first meeting with him. So there's yeah. been some back and forth. It, it, there have been some ups and downs with this franchise, but the you know the fandom has always been there. The love for these characters has always been there, and that's why when the movies have been good, I have loved the movies. When the movies have been bad, I've been really disappointed. Because, you know, there was a lot of hope and a lot of expectation based on these characters. Uh, I will say, before I get your thoughts on the the overall history of the franchise, maybe one of the saddest things about Dark Phoenix was going into it, and it didn't have the power to disappoint me because I had lost the ability to really expect anything from this series, at least anything good, because Apocalypse was so bad. Uh, So uh, Dark Phoenix, not so much disappointment, but still not a great movie. But before we get into Dark Phoenix... uh, Please, Paul, give us the history of your own affection towards this uh, Fox X-Men era. Well, I've got a huge affection for X-Men because those are the comics that I grew up reading extensively was Spider-Man. It was X-Men. And with the cartoon, the cartoon only enhanced my huge love for it already. It was like, I mean, it was on the, on the verge of Star Wars at that point for me um, in my fandom. Spider-Man and X-Men and Star Wars were like hand in hand. The Avengers weren't even close. And you'll have heard me on the podcast before uh, talk about that, how the Avengers was more of a later thing in my life when uh, Spider-Man, when it took Spider-Man joining the Avengers for me to actually care about the Avengers. So, um, you know, I'm not saying I hated them before. I just didn't really invest my money into it. It was all X-Men and basically X-Men, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. And for the most part, and, and, some, and a lot of Hulk in, in there in, in as well. well. And you weren't alone in that. I think, you know, yeah. a lot of people forget now because Avengers are so popular, but like for our generation growing up, mm-hmm. there was X-Men on one level mm-hmm. and then like take a few flights of stairs to get to the service elevator and go down a few more. And that was Avengers. Yeah. Like that's what it Yo, was growing man. up when these things were just comics and not movies. Yeah. The the comic, the Avengers comics weren't even like in the stratosphere there. I mean, they were they were a joke. I mean, it was based. I think who was carrying that series was the old fans. We straight up was like, we're talking like from the George Perez, you know, 
um, the seventies comics, all those people were carrying that title. Cause it was and, and again in the nineties, remember too, that they had huge print runs of everything. So things were able to sustain themselves. So if that, would, if that was reversed now, I don't know if Avengers survives the nineties to be quite honest. It meaning, cause right now, you know, it is, you know, back then the lowest selling comic was like what? A hundred thousand copies. <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, now and you that got was, now you got Marvel DC books that struggled to sell ten thousand copies. Yeah, and now they're like, oh man, like they would be killing for that, you know. And that was like back back in the day, that was a low selling oh, yeah. title. <laughs> yeah, the worst performing titles are now the best performing titles. Yeah. So so anyway, to kind of set people let it set people up is I love the X Men. I grew up on that stuff. Like my brother, he introduced me to the X Men and Spider Man comic books. Like that's what we grew up loving and and, and diving into and obsessing over um so my love for the franchise is huge because when i, when I got out of comics in about high school but my first my eighth grade in high school when i kind of stopped buying actively um you know it was it was the x-men is what kind of brought me back into comics you know the movie itself and it was that success from that movie that made me kind of kind of keep an eye on things because Again, seeing the X-Men live action was a dream come true because I never thought, you know, Marvel was going to have anything live action. Mm-hmm. So when we fast forward to it was, you know, basically obviously X-Men is what kind of started it all, essentially. And it was all from the success of that. Do you Spider-Man. remember your first X-Men screening? To oh, bo- to borrow from our Road to Infinity War series, yes. what was your what was your well, first uh, X-Men screening? Who were you with? Oh, dude. Oh man, this is I almost don't even want to ruin it cuz I think it's not ruin it, but it's not that not that big of a deal, but it was with it was with my brother. Unfortunately, my brother was kind of like he just had a baby, or he had a baby. His wife was pregnant, something like that. Um, and so he was kind of out of the picture as far as like being available for me. But I was graduating high school the day, like I was graduating like the day before or the week after or something like that. Are you uh, sure you were graduating? Because it was July of two thousand. Was it July? Or yeah, it was. It was. I thought I was. I was already graduated, so that oh, I knew okay. I had already graduated. It was. I thought I was around graduation, but this is like 19 years ago. So bear with me, people. <laughs> uh, but I remember just being like fresh out of high school, just you know, like every, we're all talking, and I was. It was my my main crew back then, which I'm still all friends with, with today. But they weren't comic book fans. But it was a. They all knew I was a comic book fan, so we all went. And had a big group, and they're like, "Oh man, like Paul, are you excited?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm, ex- I'm really excited. This is like a dream come true for me. This is like something I never thought I'd get." And I remember uh, going on "Ain't It Cool News." Um, you know, back in the day, I know it's still around, but back in the day, that's that's, that's my first like movie website that I you know like looked at religiously. And I remember reading, and they they posted an insider uh, guy saying that no. I remember this very, very vividly. They said no female is going to want to be anywhere near this movie because they talked about, you know, how this is going to be the success of this movie is going to, you know, hinge on, you know, a female audience and, and getting, you know, them in, involved. And also, like, if this movie fails, then other comic book movies after are not going to be, you know, where, you know, it's it's going to end everything. Right. And I remember reading that and some guy was saying like, no, you know, I've seen this movie. It's terrible, blah, 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 blah. And, and this is like, you know, a week before I'm like, man, this is not good. Cause if this doesn't work, I'll never see like other superhero movies I want to see. And I remember, you know, I had my friends, girlfriends were all going with us and we all went and I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's hope it doesn't suck. And I was, I was blown away how good it was. I was, you know, I heard all these negative things about, about it going into it, but 
all my friends, we just loved it. And it was a big deal. It was, it was like good, like, like seven or eight of us. Mm. So it was a big, it was a big crew. And they all were like, you know, wanted to know what I thought afterwards. Cause now again, I was a comic book you know, guy and I'm like, guys, that was, that was amazing. And I saw it the next night with my, some other, my other friends who were with me that same day. And I was like, dude, dude, we have to see it like right now. I have to see it again. And uh, my friends goes, I'm not going to see it again. I'm just going to see something else. I'm like, that's cool. See you dude. And we went and saw it again. And I'm like, man, so good. And it was, it was a big deal. And, and, and that, again, that is what helped me get back into comics. And that's why I think these movies are so important just for me is because it keeps, it keeps kids and, 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 and back into reading comic books and, and, and keep them invested in these characters. Now it's, it's taken a life of its own thanks to the, the MCU. And now it's its own Marvel universe and, and, you know, on the screen, which is, you know, which is amazing. But the X-Men is what started that, I think kind of at least helped me stay involved in comic yeah. books. And, uh, obviously with Spider-Man too, but I think it's definitely one of the milestones, you know, there's, yeah. when we look at the history of the genre, I mean, the first time I saw X-Men, uh, it was July. So summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And, uh, I had one friend at the time who was even remotely interested in comic books and superheroes. So guess who I went with? So, uh, <laughs> so we went, we watched the movie and, um, you know, I was reading about superhero stuff on the internet at that point in time, for sure. I was locked in on all that, but I went into the movie with, uh, very little expectations other than I really hope this is good because I love the X-Men and, and the trailers have looked pretty good. So I'm, I'm really hoping that this works out and, I remember being very, very satisfied by the end of the film. I don't know that I was blown away on quite the level that I have been by other movies. Uh, certainly not like the first time I saw the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man or, or X in this own series, uh, X2, X-Men United. Those are the kinds of movies that really blew me away. But this first X-Men film, I really enjoyed it. And it felt like, in addition to being a good movie all on its own, it felt like the promise of something more. You know, the promise yeah. that something more was on the way, that something even better was on the way, uh, including, you know, better things from this particular franchise and then bigger and better things across the genre, which, you know, and, and X-Men goes a long way in terms of making this a genre. You could argue, I mean, superhero movies, it's barely a genre when it's just Superman and Batman carrying the whole thing. And then a few and then every every couple of years or so, there's something else from the fringe that makes its way in, like Spawn or Phantom or whatever. But you know, the the X-Men movies and, and comic book movies becoming a more regular thing, more of a, an almost annual and now more t more than just annual fixture at the summer box office or the box office now throughout the year. A lot of that tracks and, and begins with X-Men in 2000. And, you know, and then, of course, uh, I, I still think Spider-Man is essential because X-Men, while it was a solid hit, wasn't anywhere near the runaway hit that Spider-Man was. And I think Spider-Man having all the success that it had in 2002 uh, goes a long way in terms of, you know, putting that brass ring out there that every studio has been chasing ever since. So it's a little bit different with another on another level with Spider-Man, but with X-Men, yeah, I mean, this was a huge thing. Uh, it was a huge deal and a huge part of getting the genre to where it is today. And as somebody who absolutely loves comic books and superheroes and, of course, movies based on comic books and superheroes, I'll always have, you know, this particular film uh, and, of course, this and by extension, this entire franchise, it will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, so 
none of what I'm about to say about Dark Phoenix is coming from a place of uh, going into this movie wanting to hate it or just because I've had the MCU for the last 11 years that it, it's made me forget about wanting to like the X-Men. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just based on the experience with that individual movie, uh, which although, I mean, there were some trouble that started before this movie, obviously, but uh, I still went into Dark Phoenix with an open mind. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I don't go into these movies hating it. I mean, I, I, I was talking to um, Mike from uh, Twitter and he was, t- you know, he was like, you know, he's big, big X-Men fan. And uh, I was telling him like, you know, he's a good one with open mind. I'm like, listen, you know, you, you like Fantastic Four. He kind of brought that up to me. Like, you know, and I said, yeah, I also came into Fantastic Four the same way as I did Dark Phoenix is kind of like, I did not go in and expecting to enjoy it. And, I, and again, I liked it more, more than most people did. Um, and, and I had no problem with that, but it doesn't mean there wasn't problems. Doesn't mean there wasn't like, but I, I go into, my point is I go into these things with an open mind and I'm always willing to give it a chance. I mean, I, like I said, we just had our Patreon venom, uh, episode that will be releasing soon. And, or if it's not, I'm not sure if it's going to be out by the time we have this out either. But um, either way, like Venom, like I expected it to be completely ter- terrible. And I actually was really entertained by it. So I don't I don't go to these movies expecting to hate it and wanting to trash it. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. If I like it, I like it. And I'll stick up for it. Like when me and you were going at it about Fantastic Four all those years ago. And, you know, and we talked about uh, with Andrew uh, on the Patreon for or the, the Venom commentary of why he loves it and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, like everything is subjective. Everyone has an opinion and it's fine. But at the same time, if a lot of people don't like something you you like, don't be upset that they don't like it. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. I'm not sure. There hasn't been a lot of that, I don't think. On, no. For, and for me, and anyway. to be clear up front, because I I'm. Everybody probably knows I'm going to lean negative on this movie. So I, <laughs> well, you want to hit a review, right? My, I mean, my tweets out there. I, well, I only yeah. did the non-spoiler review as a Patreon ah. thing, but I got you. Um, but on Twitter, I you know my reaction tweet was negative, and so people, you can expect that from me. I don't know what to expect from Paul, although I'm guessing he's not going to be fighting me like he was on Fantastic Four uh, mm. in 2015. <laughs> Certainly not as passionately. So yeah. um, you know, but none of this is to take away in. You know, and if that means you love Dark Phoenix and don't want to listen to the rest of the episode, I get it because it's not fun to listen to people, you know, saying negative things about something that you like. But anytime we say negative things about a movie, it's the same as when we say positive things. We're not trying to take away from or invalidate your assessment. So if if we like a movie and you and you don't, we're never trying to say you're wrong for not liking the movie. Uh, and just when we don't like something, we're not trying to say you're wrong for liking the movie. We have to share. Our, we have to share our honest opinion and our honest assessment of the movies that we're going to talk about on the show. So, you know, it's never trying to ruin anybody else's love of something. If you love Dark Phoenix or you just thought it was okay or wherever you land on the movie, um, that's totally fine and it's totally valid. And, and I always say, especially when I don't like a movie, if I don't like a movie and you do, well, not that there's a, a, a winning and a losing in this because it's all subjective, but... We both went into a movie hoping to enjoy the experience, and you did, and I didn't. So that really works out more in your favor than in mine. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like, just be glad that you have another movie that you can enjoy. But uh, twenty minutes in, let's go ahead and start this review yeah, for uh, for Dark Phoenix, and this is a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, then 
I guess maybe you don't want to listen to the rest of the show, or I know some of you have actually already told us that you want to listen to the spoiler review, either in lieu of watching the movie, or maybe that's going to make you decide one way or another whether or not you're going to watch the movie. Uh, Whatever the case may be, I'm just throwing the spoiler warning out there. So if you haven't seen the film and you do not wish to be spoiled, then please do not continue to listen to the show any further. Go ahead and pause it and then come back once you've seen the movie. But if you're still here, then I'm going to go ahead and assume that you either have seen the film or you do not uh, you do not mind being uh, spoiled about Dark Phoenix. There's not really that much to spoil with Dark yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, there really is. Not that much really happens in uh, in Dark Phoenix. I did not enjoy this movie. I mm. will say that uh, one of the nicest things I can say about the movie is that it is not as outright awful in my mind as Apocalypse was three years ago. I really loathed Apocalypse. I didn't have that same kind of passion in a negative way for uh, for Dark Phoenix, so it's got that going for it, which I guess is nice. So I, I don't think this is the worst film in the series, mm. but we know this series has has its wins and its losses. I count this one as a loss. I really mm. didn't have... There wasn't a lot to love about this movie. Actually, it started off okay. The uh, the car crash sequence is actually very well staged. So Simon Kinberg, as a director, I will say, visually, it's a pretty good car crash. Um, the rest of the movie, not a great car crash. Uh, but well, even the opening with the space mission, some of that's okay. Although I don't need three people in a row to be like, so we're going to space? So we're going to space? Oh, we're doing space missions now. Yes, you're going to space. Anyway... So there's there's some okay stuff happening in here, but then the farther this the further this goes along, the less uh, invested I am because there's just everything just feels so underwritten, just so undercooked. I mean, oh my goodness, Jessica Chastain, what are you doing in this movie? Yeah, uh, why did you sign on for this? What was in the script? Like, what must be on the cutting room floor? Why I don't understand. Um, and this just proves you know what some of the fears were all along. And, this, this movie actually is not a, a carbon copy of The Last Stand, but it still makes some of the same mistakes, and it still mm-hmm. doesn't, do a, it doesn't do any better of a job of capturing the comic book than, uh, you know, or even the spirit of the comic book than The Last Stand did. So there's just so much of this that's off. It's just flat. What's, you know, Simon Kimberg loves to ground these things, and I don't know why. But it's why he's not, it's why he was never the person to tell this story. He wasn't the first time, and surprise, surprise, he's not the second time. It's why he wasn't the guy for Fantastic Four either. I mean, this guy just continues to, there's been so many, I was, I'm rolling my eyes at every think piece that's been written. And no offense to anybody who wrote them, I've read some, and there's really great writing in there, but there's so much dissecting of what went wrong with Dark Phoenix when it's so obvious all along the way. I mean, We've seen these mistakes at every point of what was happening in the development of this movie from the fact that Simon Kinberg was telling a story he already told poorly, doing that again, you know, and being a guy who loves to talk about grounded and gritty when he's trying to tell stories that are not grounded and gritty. And that's not what it's like. Pick other stories. If you like grounded and gritty, there's plenty of stories for you. Don't pick the ones and don't pick the characters in the case of Fantastic Four that don't fit that. It's not that hard. Like you can tell, you could tell all kinds of different X Men stories, just as you can tell all kinds of different stories for all kinds of other characters across Marvel, DC, whatever. Pick the ones and pick the stories that fit. And if you know, I, I just, 
I don't know. I I have a very hard time getting it, you know, getting around like wrapping my head around just a studio and a creative team just making a another series of bad decisions over and over and one after the next. And I know there's a lot of other cop-outs right now of like, oh, well, the Disney Fox deal screwed everything up or they had to change it because it was too much like Civil War or Captain Marvel. Well, first, people tried to say that the reshoots uh, had to have been for Captain Marvel because it was too similar to another movie. Well, Simon Kinberg already said that it, that, that wasn't true. And then he tried to say that it's because of similarities to Civil War. Well, dude, Civil War came out in May of 2016. You shot this movie over a year later. So (laughs) if you were worried about similarities to Civil War, then you should have factored that into it before you started shooting. So I don't buy it. I think all of that stuff is spin. All of those things are just crap excuses for a movie that was bad all along. There was talk about really poor test screenings before the reshoots even started. So this movie was in bad shape before the Disney Fox deal. And then I think what ultimately happened is that a decision was made because they knew as a result of the Disney Fox deal, this would not have this would not have been an order from Disney. So for anybody who wants to say Disney or Marvel Studios interfered, that's not what happened with these reshoots because the Disney Fox deal was pending. So Disney and Marvel Studios quite literally could not tell anyone at Fox what to do. And that includes Simon Kinberg as the director of this film. On their own, they made their own decisions to go ahead and say, well, we, we may have thought at one point this would be a two-part story, but now we got to make sure this is a one-part story and we have to cap things off. And, but maybe it had nothing to do with that. Because there was talk, and I saw another report saying that they made the decision to switch from a two-part story to a one-part story before they even started shooting the movie the first time. And if that's the case, great. But as far as reworking the third act, which I think was ending in space or something for a train sequence that Magneto could solve in two seconds but doesn't because they want to have it last a while, okay, fine. Uh, but there's just so much going on in this movie that's so undercooked. It's half thought out. Uh, there's, there's just things that happen for no reason, but before I, I mean, I can just keep going. So I, I, I gotta stop and, and I gotta interrupt myself and let Paul in here. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and you know, Sean, I have a famous saying now, I know it's not really famous, but at least famous for me, you're not wrong. And, <laughs> um, the, the, here's the thing. You're absolutely right. It's not as bad as apocalypse. Apocalypse serves its own like its own island of atrocity. Oh yeah. And it is just Rob Liefeld had said it best is that this single handedly destroyed the X-Men universe. And, you know, he, he called it a blue, a a pile, a big blue pile or something like that. It was, it was really funny. And it was really interesting to have him. He's been, been, he's been very candid lately, but anyway, Hey, uh, Hey, you want your proof of that? That's why nobody showed up this weekend to watch dark Phoenix. And so, and that's a great point. And I, I, me and you are not kind on that movie. And and I think we were, we were fair to not be, I don't think it was very good. I mean, people don't have to, again, in our opinions, wasn't very good. And we just could not get behind that movie. And I, and I'm someone who loved, you know, has been for the most part, I've liked all the X-Men films, even last stand to an extent last stand is a little bit of a mess, but I have I knew the reasons why going into that movie. I expected it to be a little bit messy, and it was, but I still enjoyed. For I'll what take it was. Last Stand over this one. Simon Kinberg oh, did a better sure. job the first time around. Yeah, and so yeah, and you also said it best is that it doesn't really. It's weird that you'd have the same writer doing a second go at it, and still borrow from his first his first yeah. one. You know, it's it's it doesn't. That was what what was really frustrating for me, and I think you you said it best. 
you said it best because Kimber did not deliver a pile of, of garbage. It's an adequate looking film. What he delivered, though, was a very well. He delivered very... a well shot movie. Exactly. Nothing yes. else about it is well. Very little else adequate. about it is adequate. I say I say adequate in a sense to where it's not something you can like. You'll be re, you know you're you're you're, re, you know, you're you're gonna get sick watching it. Meaning it's so bad. Yeah. It's just, it's you can't watch it. That's what I mean. It's adequate. You can, you can watch it and go okay. That, I will. You know, people said you know. I I watched it and survived. You will too, and and they're not wrong. It's it wasn't that bad because if it was that bad, I probably would have walked out. Um, which I've never walked out of a movie to be honest. But, but anyway, I, this is my my feelings on Dark Phoenix. It's not terrible. I liked it more than Apocalypse. It's just a really really forgettable X Men movie, and it just I to be honest, I just wanted to get it over with, and yeah. I don't like saying that. And I wanted to do the same thing for Fantastic Four, uh, the Josh Trank and Simon Kimberg film. And I actually really ended up enjoying that way more at the end. I was like, well, I enjoyed that way more than I was anticipating. I did not, unfortunately, have that with Dark Phoenix. And that has nothing to do with the fact that this is the last movie or anything. You know, I'll get into some positives here in a minute. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to I really want to dive on something that at least for me and you will you kind of touched on it, too, already. But my main issue with this movie is that it doesn't really seem like an X-Men movie. And what I mean by that is that it seemed like you have all these films that set up that they're hated, that they're, you know, they're feared, and that they're here for a reason. And then at the very end, they all love them. Like, everyone's cheering the X-Men. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is this? You know, and Professor Xavier is like fine dining. And I know it's supposed to be like his arc. And he's like, you know, he's he's a different person now. And Mystique keeps it just it just seemed weird and random and just off to me. It just didn't seem right. It seemed like you know what it seemed like, Sean? It seemed like a writer who had no idea who he was writing. I mean, they literally gave the president of the United States a bat phone to X Mansion. Uh, it was I mean, you can't. I mean, people people just laughed at that in the press yes. at the press screening. I was at like just, I, I, you know, I just. Yeah, it's just it's so cheeseball. And you know what? Fine. If you want to. I mean, I understand that's part of the thing. Right. And metaphorically speaking, there's there's a lot of validity to some of the stuff that's being explored there. But if you're going to introduce certain concepts, you really got to get into it. Otherwise, don't do it. You know, Black Panther introduced some very strong concepts and that that it dives deep into uh, with the dialogue and the themes of it in, you know, and everything that's happening in the story for that film. So for yeah. Dark Phoenix, there is this very interesting idea that Charles Xavier puts out there is like, even with all the progress we've made, even though like there's, you know, there's a direct line from the office of the president to us, mm -hmm. even though there's all of this, we've made all this progress since apocalypse. Okay. Uh, we've made all this progress. It can all go away just like that with one we are one bad day away from losing all the progress that we've made, which is something that's very true of marginalized groups that, they get every they have to work so long so hard even though they shouldn't have to but they do in order to have some sort of mainstream acceptance in a society and it's crap that they have to do that in the first place but it does happen and then of course one bad thing happens and it takes it under you know it just undermines all of it and none of that should be true but it is so it's a very fascinating idea to explore with X-Men but the movie doesn't really want to get into that it plays lip service to it but it doesn't really get into it because most of the things that would be the result of that, we don't really see on the screen. We don't see it in any explored in any in-depth, uh, any in-depth sort of way. We're glossing past that to just go through the A, B, C, and D of this plot. 
and and the plot isn't really that interesting. Like Gene uh, Gene gets the Phoenix Force, kills some people, goes and looks for a little bit of help, can't get that help, and then she finds a mysterious alien friend. It's like, okay, cool, we're pals, and then they everybody has to stop her. And then like, there's just so much of that that's just so it's just so yeah. flat. It, yeah, it's all. There are some interesting ideas here, but none of them really get explored in any meaningful sort of way. So there's nothing here to really latch onto. Like you say, that's why this movie is going to be forgettable. Exactly. What are, what's happening here that you're really supposed to sink your teeth into? I, I don't know the answer to that question. And so with, with all that, I just, you know, it just seemed like there wasn't anything really from besides the fact that they looked like, you know, the actors that were in the previous films. It just didn't seem like the same, like, it just seemed like very, everything was just kind of out of nowhere. And it just didn't, it didn't flow for me. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that like they go on this, you know, trip and it, it seems so formulaic too. Like we had to get Quicksilver out of the, out of the picture fast, you know, no pun intended. And we had to um, get Mystique out of here because Lord knows, uh, <laughs> you know, she doesn't want to be in this movie anymore. And it, she certainly made it obvious throughout the whole movie. She's, just like basically you couldn't be more wooden than that you know and i'm sorry like i've never i've not been a fan of her mystique like i just haven't i don't like her attitude towards it like she just doesn't seem to care and it's so to me it's so evident in this movie i'm like what why i just don't get it i've never i've never understood it and so you have all that and to it just it just seemed so just like formulates not even the right word. It just seemed like so like, okay, you did this to get rid of that. You did this to get rid of that one. And I mean, like I said, it, it wasn't like the, the dialogue wasn't all terrible, but just some of the situations and, and the dialogue was in like the, like the X-Men phone. And <laughs> again, professor Xavier is sitting, you know, at his thing where he's like, I have to hello everyone. And he, he just starts talking to everyone in front of the, Whatever that was, the Senate or whatever that, yeah. I'm not, whatever that is. Well, but, with this, yeah, I mean, the Xavier stuff dro- drove me nuts because it's like, yeah. there's stuff in the comics where Xavier makes decisions that you don't necessarily feel are, are okay. And he did something here that wasn't okay. That kind of stuff isn't inherently wrong for Xavier, but there's nothing about this guy that's even a bit like heroic or likable in this movie. Like, he's exactly. just all caught yeah. up. He's the same selfish dope that he was back in the, you know, back in that bar in the first, 60s yeah, when first, he's trying exactly. to talk, talking yeah. about mutation to get girls. You know, he's that same guy. There's nothing about him that shows that he's any different than he's been for the last 30 years, uh, which <laughs> I'm going to get into time jumps later. Uh, but yeah, like with Xavier, like he's just completely unlikable. There's mm-hmm. a difference between Xavier who can be hard to like sometimes versus no, he's just straight up unlikable. And that's what this movie just doesn't get about these characters. Because everything has to be so one note. It doesn't yeah. understand any subtlety or nuance. So everything is always, you know, it, it's this or the other. They don't, you know, Simon Kimberg with his script and his direction here, he doesn't know how to put things in the middle and, you know, challenge you more as a viewer. It's just, oh, Xavier's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a jerk in this movie. And that's just what he is this time. And I know he's yeah. been a jerk before, and I guess he's still a jerk and whatever. You're not, there's no, there's no hero there. And Xavier, to me, as... As complicated as he may be in the books, it's still he's still a hero, and I'm not seeing that in these movies, yeah, especially think, not not in this one for sure. Yeah, and it, that was so peculiar to me, and the fact that Magneto's got his own thing, like oh, they let me have my own my own commune, and yeah, you know, or whatever. And it, it was just kind of like okay, Dude, and then the dude's yeah. got a summer camp, and they're calling it Genosha. 
okay. It, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just, there's a lot of things in here that just, just seems so, and again, there wasn't any scale to it. Like, I, I kind of expected a little bit more of pizzazz, if you will, and I feel like they blew the whole budget on the beginning of the movie, and... That's what it seems like anyway. I mean, I don't know where they... That's the worst part about this is that the money doesn't show up on screen. Like, we're talking about because of reshoots, like, the budget is over $200 million. Where did it go? Where did it go? Did they have to pay, like, Jennifer Lawrence 40 of that to agree to come back and do, like, another little, you know, first act as as Mystique because she was over that role? I don't know. You know, good thing she was in the portion of the movie that they were actually wearing X-Men costumes because then she only had to put makeup on her face and didn't have to do the whole, you know, body routine for Mystique that she got tired of doing. And I don't blame her for getting tired of doing that, by the way. I'm sure it sucks as an actor to be sitting there having to do that for hours and hours. But yeah, with Mystique, it's like there's not there's just not enough there, you know, and when she dies. I don't care. And I know that sounds callous, but the story didn't get me to care about her. So when it happens, it doesn't really affect me because I'm not really caring about what's going on with any of this. There's no, I'm not being given an opportunity to really invest in these characters and their story. Well, and that too, but it's, it's, you're we're supposed to assume that they like Jean and Mystique have this close relationship, right. but there's not, but there's nothing that shows that they are close because like, we just have, we just have to assume that stuff happened in the last 10 years. And maybe yeah. that's why these time jumps exist. I don't know why this movie is set in 1992. The only reason I can tell that this movie is set in 1992 is because it actually writes 1992 on the screen. There is nothing else about this story that sets it in 1992. Although Storm does use uh, thirsty as a euphemism in 1992. Granted, I was nine in 1992, so I wasn't up on those kinds of euphemisms, but I'm pretty sure thirsty as a euphemism doesn't date back to 1992. I might be wrong. Uh, but Simon idea. Kinberg, when, this is what happens when you make arbitrary decisions. And for as much as people want to uh, beat up the X-Men franchise for the continuity breaks and how much of a mess this timeline is, and it is a mess. It totally is a mess. But I'm willing to roll with those kinds of things. I'm willing to roll with Mm -hmm. contradictions in the timeline, breaks in continuity, all of that, when there is a compelling story reason that made it, that superseded the needs of continuity. If something about this story being set in 1992, if there was something about this story that was so pivotal that it'd be set in 1992, and it was a really good reason, a really good story reason for it, I would happily accept it and say, okay, I will ignore the continuity breaks that this causes because it's worth it for this creative choice in the story. Just like when stuff happens like that in comic books. Like, look, this story needs to do this and it needs to do it in this way. And I agree with it, even if it causes issues for continuity or retcon something or whatever. That stuff happens. The more stories you tell with these characters, the deeper you get into it, the more years a franchise goes on. And it's 19 years now since the first X-Men film was released. Inevitably... You will have some of those things, and I'm willing to forgive them when there's an actual reason for it. But there's no reason for it. Everything about these time jumps is so completely arbitrary. And so now we're at a point where Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher, you know, Mystique, we'll, we can go ahead and say that her, you know, shape shifting abilities also, you know, slows down her aging process. Okay, fine, I'll buy that. But there's nothing about that really for Charles Xavier or Eric Lencher, and they have aged so much less in the last 30 years than they are about to age in the next eight years for this X-Men movie that's set in 2000. And 
They could have avoided that by having with Days of Future Past, but they brought it back to Famke Jansen. Like, they brought it back to the main X-Men class that we knew from this first film in 2000. So they're the one who set up that timetable and keep it in line, and that's a Simon Kinberg, you know, the film that he produced and, and wrote with Days of Future Past. So he's not respecting the stories that he's writing himself, and he's just moving all over the place on a whim. There's no thought. This stuff is not thought out. There's not. A, there's just not enough care in this. So when you're making these arbitrary decisions in terms of timelines that just blow up the whole thing for absolutely no reason, of course I'm going to be frustrated as a viewer. Yeah, and I I think that there's it's there's so much in this movie that's not just outright terrible. You again, like you said, at best, Sean, where did the budget go? You know, where is the you know? I think that what the Avengers have proven is that costumes can sell. You know, we can. Yeah. You can put out – people are not afraid of – They had some pretty on... dope costumes at the very end of Apocalypse. It was the one nice thing awesome. about that movie, and where'd they go? Yeah, and they and they said – instead, they gave them uh, these very old-school X-Factor uh, from the like uh, early 90s costumes right before the, uh, the uh, X-Men uh, Golden uh, and Blue Team uh, costumes, if you guys remember those uh, – they have like they're like all blue and they have an, a big yellow X on them. Yeah, very similar to that. I mean, and you can go ahead and claim that it's similar to a comic book costume. It doesn't make them good costumes. <laughs> no, but, no, and, and I agree. Like I, but here's the problem: that you only wear them. They only wear them. Yeah, they only wore first them. Act. Like, yeah, first act, and they were gone. They go and, to and, they go to space, and they go to Jean Grey's dad's house. It it's just so weird to me that you know I remember. That, Guardians of the Galaxy showed you can get weird. You can go up in yep. space and people can accept it. And that's a big part of the Dark Phoenix. Not they don't come down here and hang out and all that gets revealed. She I mean it's a really compelling story. You know what happens in the, in the, in the comic book series of mm-hmm. of Dark Phoenix, which is really good by the way. It's still, you know, obviously the the animated show is I think the best adaptation straight up from the comic, but the comic is still a classic. It's 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 brilliant. I mean, I I reread it years ago and i i thought it was fantastic and there's a great you know spoiler if you want to read the comic but basically at the very end the x-men have to fight the uh shiar imperial guard to for gene for gene gray's life mm-hmm. and they're like fighting tooth and nail even though she's like this the the harbinger of death you know they're gonna fight for gene and it's a really cool moment of like they're not gonna give up on their own even though like they have Lalandra and everyone's telling uh, telling them they're going to die. And there's a lot of great moments and cool characters you could do. And again, it, it'd be a high budget, but you know, but no, we get, again, you take the element of the last stand. You can make that movie for $200 million, which is what they spent on this film. Yeah. But they, but again, they, but you, again, you could, you could didn't have to have Jennifer Lawrence in the movie. You didn't have, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's just really unfortunate because there is a great story there. Of of Jean Grey and Scott, there's a great. I mean, again, the Dark Phoenix comic books. I'm going back to the comic books now. There, are, you know, again, you kind of you kind of blew everything already with the like Hellfire Club already and, and things like that because that's also a pivotal part. But really, the essence you could have the Shire Empire show up and be like, you are, you know, again, I like the idea that he brought it into space, and then they kind of their space elements. But let's go the full route because that movie would have made a lot, a lot of money. If you would have made a space epic thing where it's, you know, and again, people would have said, would have, could have complained, like, this looks like Guardians of the Galaxy. But here's the thing, folks. 
it came out way before Guardians of the Galaxy. This is like the OG original comic book space opera that's not Star Wars. This is like, a, again, this is considered one of the best Marvel comic book stories ever written. And that's what happens. They go up to space and they they, they have to go and, and defend Jean from these, these enemies or these people that want to destroy her. And they basically give him a fighting chance saying, if you can defeat us, then, you know, basically, you're, you're you know, you can move on, but we're going to kill her. And in the end, she takes her own life because she's like, I have to. And, uh, you know, it, it's great storytelling. And this, you don't really get that. And there's you have Jean kind of save the day at the end. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to sacrifice myself. And it's just <laughs> it, there's not really it's just I don't know. Like you already kind of knew what was going to happen because of the first movie. Yeah. And so, uh, it doesn't mean yeah. anything when it happens. Exactly. You know, like you know, the idea of, oh, I'm going to. You know, my emotions are my strength. Well, that hasn't really been the issue here or your emotions. I mean, not really. I mean, I know it's in some half-hearted way it is because you'd say, well, it's, you know, the Phoenix Force is capitalizing on her emotions and, and everything that's been buried in her, the trauma with the car crash and, and losing her parent or losing her mom and then finding out that her dad, you know, just let Xavier basically take her. And Xavier wiped her memory of her father and made it seem like both of her parents were dead. You know, okay, fine, but... It's not like you set that up in the beginning that Jean Grey with her powers is having issues with her emotions. Like, it's all just related to the Phoenix Force. It, it, it's this thing that gets introduced. It's not like she's having a major problems or anything before that. And, and the movie kind of forgets that we actually saw her tapping into the Phoenix Force at the end of Apocalypse. Now, I don't blame Simon Kimberg or anybody else for forgetting Apocalypse. I wish I could, too. But like, it's still a movie that doesn't pay attention. This series, it's not paying attention to its own story beats throughout. And even if you want to say, well, forget about X-Men Apocalypse and we're just going to treat this as its own standalone story, it's still not really working And because it doesn't want to settle into any one thing. It just wants to introduce little things here and there and explore them on the surface but not dive deep so that when these things happen, they're not really paying off in a satisfying way. And then getting into the villain stuff, I mean... Oh, I'm glad that these weren't the, the Shi'ar Empire. I'm glad that that's not Lilandra who Jessica Chastain is playing because they are nothing characters. They are yeah. absolutely nothing characters. I mean, I know that now we know where all like the scroll rumors came from. And maybe at one point these things were called scrolls and then they en ended up changing that. I don't know. Uh, but they are the Dabari, thanks to subtitles. We know that that's what race they are, who... The only role they really have, although Vuk is a Dabari who actually survived, I think, in the comics or something like that, but you know, not really all that prominent of a character. But the Dabari, it is true in the Phoenix Saga, they are a planet that gets destroyed by the Phoenix Force, uh, but that's why the Shi'ar actually want to destroy the Phoenix Force, and, destroy, and if that means killing Jean Grey, so be it. Mm -hmm. that's where all that comes from, but these aren't the Shi'ar. They're just the Dabari, and it's a good thing. And you feel like the only reason that they are shape-shifting aliens is not because it's all that integral to the plot. They are shape-shifting aliens to basically get credit for having aliens, but they can look like just regular Joes in suits. That's mm -hmm. what this is, including Jessica Chastain's character. If they have the ability to shape-shift, why would you continue to be like this one same person? Who is it that this, per this person, who the human Jessica Chastain, who is she... That makes it so that she would be in charge of everything. Like, why wouldn't they be more like Skrulls who will shapeshift to be the person they need to be at the time they need to be them and then move on to the next thing? There's none of that. These characters are just there to be as plain as possible. We gave you aliens in this story. Okay, sure. But they're wearing suits and ties. 
They're wearing overcoats. Like, this is who these aliens are. There's nothing about this that's visually interesting. It's all, what's the least interesting way I can tell you this story? I've got it. That's what this is over and over and over again. I mean, there is a fight that is, what, on Fifth Avenue in New York, where Storm is having a really hard time fighting a dude with snapping dreadlocks. Okay? What is that? Why is that, that, was, that why yeah, is that, that was, happening? Yeah. So storm yeah. cut cut to storm a few minutes later on the train sequence, rising into the air and just blowing up aliens left and right, hitting them with lightning. Why didn't she do that to the dreadlock guy? Would have been just as easy and there was only one of him. Cool. Take him out. There's no reason why that should be a struggle for Storm. And why why is this a a character I mean there might be a comic book basis for this guy, and, and I I'm have just no idea. And I'm just not pulling it. Okay, fine. Uh, but if there is, he's not a great villain. Don't use him. Use somebody else. That's what it should be. It's not interesting to watch a guy with whipping dreadlocks in a one-on-one fight with Storm and acting like that dude has a chance of lasting ten seconds. No yeah. way. Like yeah. it's that's garbage. It, it's how Storm was. You know what's funny is I cannot wait for. A, a better storm because this actress, uh, I apologize. Look, just doesn't, let me be clear. Know. I don't fault Alexandra ship and I don't think it would be fair to hold this stuff against her. This character is so underwritten and I agree. She's agree. not the one making a decision to have this character. Who's one of the most powerful mutants in Marvel yes. comics mm-hmm. to be having a tough time with the whipping dreadlocks guy. No way. It, it's, it, it's 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 amazing to me because I'm looking forward to having a different storm because just because I love storm from the comics like there's if you read the Chris Claremont comic books from um, when he started he made storm back in this is back in the 70s a fantastic interesting amazing character and I'm, I was amazed at 